Welcome to Gardening with Angelo on News Radio WTAM 1100. Now your host, Angelo Petiti. Good morning, everyone. This is Noel, and for Angelo this morning, he's taking around a tour group of Cleveland, and so um, I hope they're all having a great time. Uh, this has been such a gorgeous week. Um, we've had wonderful weather to get out there. Um, a little bit hot today, of course, but um, up until this point, it's been absolutely gorgeous outside. So I hope you've been able to um, get out in the garden and maintain and and do the things you need to out there. And of course, um, as always, we have some tips for you uh, for this this week just to continue um, getting out there and taking care of your plants and vegetables and so on. So um, with all those wonderful sunny days, um, good growing conditions use up a lot of fertilizer. And so um, again, just remember to keep your flowers fed regularly. Um, we often recommend Osmocote is a very slow release fertilizer. It typically will last about two to three months uh, feeding your plants, but again, in more heat heat or again more rainfall or irrigation sometimes those nutrients um, go very quickly so just remember to, to keep an eye on your plants keep feeding um, with vegetables with herbs most of your edibles we recommend garden tone uh, to keep them uh, growing and producing as well Okay, if flowers are past their prime, uh, hanging baskets are looking a little leggy. If you didn't get around to it, um, you know, just after the 4th of July holiday, uh, think about cutting those back, cutting them back by a third, maybe a half, uh, trying to take uh, a lot of that, that stringiness or legginess off of your plants. Um, remember removing uh, the spent flowers, any kind of seed pods or anything like that. We don't want that to develop. We want to make sure that that plant still continues to vigorously grow um, so do that now and then again feed afterwards so feed with osmocote feed, uh, feed with pl uh, plant tone and that will work very nicely for you too at this time of year, again, with all the heat and so forth, check your vegetables, check your herbs um, for insects pretty regularly. You know, if you can get out there each day, um, every other day, check the undersides of leaves and so forth for insects. That's always a good thing to do. Um, Captain Jack's Dead Bug Brew or an insecticidal soap can help you with most of those bugs. So especially on edibles, um, try to use those two products. Um, feeding the lawn right now, we're looking at... At, uh, step three in lawn care, which is usually a, a straight feed, typically high in iron, so it can really green up the lawn. Um, Espoma also has an organic summer revitalizer, a fertilizer that's really, really good uh, for the lawn. And again, if you're having weed issues, spotty weeds here and there, Weed Bead Ultra, excuse me, Weed Beater Ultra and Weed Be Gone Plus uh, crabgrass are always really good spot sprays that that are very effective in grassy areas, again, will not harm grass, um, just the weeds, okay, that are in that area. However, just remember, when it gets really warm um, and you're spraying an herbicide, those plants, even those weeds, um, can kind of take a little break. So they won't absorb the um, herbicide as quickly as you might think they would. Um, so again, it's always better to spray um, your herbicides when it's a little bit cooler between the 65 degree mark and about the 85 degree mark, okay? They'll be a lot more effective um, when you do spray. Uh, protect again 
against Lyme diseases. If you are seeing, you know, brown patches or what have you, um, Scott's Disease X is an excellent product. It is new out there, um, and it does cover very, very well, and it controls a lot of different diseases from your rust, red threads, uh, dollar spots, all those types of things as well. Powdery mildew, of course, has been very abundant for us this season with all of the hot uh, days and humidity and so forth. So again, when it is affecting plants, you you kind of want to you want to spray it as a preventative if you can before something happens. But on things like uh, cucumbers, your pumpkin, your squashes, uh, melons, and so forth, um, peonies are susceptible. Uh, your upright garden flocks, your very tall garden flocks. Usually we'll have it at this time of year. Uh, clematis, uh, the bee balm especially. Uh, copper fungicide is an excellent spray. And again, as a preventative, you want to spray it beforehand. Um, spray it about once a week as a preventative um, or after it rains. That's always a good time to do that. And um, that will really help uh, the mildew problems um, on your plant material. Rabbits and deer out there, um, especially the spotted fawn. Oh my gosh, there's so many out there. It seems like every time I turn around, there's a new one that we see. So do uh, mist your flowers, your shrubs um, with plant skid. Plant skid works very, very well. It just takes a light misting. Just remember, it works better when it is warmer. Um, make sure that you shake the um, plant skid solution because it will settle out of solution. So definitely um, shake it up. We put it in a warm water bath, um, just some warm water, stick the bottle in there, and that will help um, really have that that solution stay. And um, it works very, very well. Um, always spray the tops and the bottoms of the flowers, the foliage, and so forth. Repelzol is out there as well if you're having chipmunks, groundhogs, raccoons, skunks, squirrels, any of those guys. If they're if they're giving you a problem, um, Repelzol does very nicely. And of course, Repelzol is garlic oil-based. Um, so again, it does a, a good job at repelling. And of course, something that it, we, I'm sure many of you have been noticing out there, uh, the Japanese beetle. So if you have seen them in your area, um, there's several things you can do, and I'm going to give you some plants to look out for too. Um, but if they are in your area, you want to place your beetle traps in the back of your yard as far away um, from your plant material as you can. That will draw them away. So that's always a good thing to do and stay on top of, you know, cleaning the bags out and so forth when they get full because boy, when they start to attract, they really do fill up very quickly. And then um, your sprays that you can use, your insecticidal uh, soaps and sprays and things, we often use eight, um, which is like the step up from seven. So your eight dust, your eight sprays will work uh, very, very well as a contact um, kill and then also has a residual um, of about two weeks on the plant material. Um, you can use things like bonide annual tree and shrub insect killer. So that's that systemic um, insecticide that you apply at the base of trees, shrubs, so forth. It, the plant absorbs it and it usually stays active for about a year um, in the plant system. Or Captain Jack's does work. So Captain Jack's dead bug brew does work um, with your organic insecticides or your natural insecticides. Usually when you spray the bug, you see 
the bug, you spray the bug. That's the most effective way to use it because it doesn't have a long residual out there in the sun and in the um, weather. So uh, just be aware that those are available. And then, of course, it's not too late to apply Grub X. Grub X, of course, you're applying to the lawn to kill the eggs in the lawn, okay? Um, so it's not too late to apply that. If you're seeing a lot of Japanese beetle issues, um, you're seeing a lot of brown spots in the lawn where you're pulling the lawn up, um, look for that. It's very, very easy to pull those brown areas up. And um, again, that's, and it, they could be damaged by, you know, the raccoons, the the skunks, they could be digging around in that area as well. Um, but you'll, you'll notice that and, and um, GrubX is a really good control for that, okay? So now, how about plants that deter Japanese beetles? Well, um, we're lucky because anything in the onion family. So if you grow garlic, chives, leeks, ornamental onions, all those guys, that's a great plant to have. They really do deter uh, the Japanese beetles. The catnips also and the cat mints deter Japanese beetles. So um, we're using catmint more and more in the landscape because it's a beautiful flowering plant. It's a very low maintenance. It's very, very easy. Uh, the deer don't like it. The, the bunnies don't like it. Um, so that's a really good family to look into. Marigolds, of course, are a good plant um, all around usually uh, to really deter a lot of different um, insects and also animals. And then, um, believe it or not, geraniums are used more as a trap plant. Um, so your geraniums might get eaten um, by Japanese beetles. However, they contain a substance that kind of paralyzes them. Um, so again, geraniums uh, you might find will attract them, um, but again, will we'll kind of stop them in, in a certain respect as well. So um, that's all good. And then plants that are very resistant to Japanese beetles, look for things like begonias. So your whole begonia family does very nicely boxwood, burning bush, uh, caladium, which is your kind of shade, colorful elephant ear, dusty miller, dogwood, uh, forsythia, holly, and the hydrangea family, which is fantastic. They are looking absolutely gorgeous um, at this time of year right now. Your junipers, your magnolias, and then um, many of your root vegetables. They usually are not bothered by Japanese beetles. Eggplants, tomatoes, typically not. And then things you want to really watch out for. So th these plants really have the worst resistance as far as Japanese beetles are concerned. So you probably will have to protect them with a, a a certain type of insecticide or what have you. So look out for these. And of course, hand picking, if you don't mind it, hand picking the Japanese beetles also helps throw them in a bucket of soapy water um, and that will help as well. So anything in the rose family, your roses, my goodness, watch out for the beetle damage there. Your apple trees, crab apples, cherries, peaches, plums, all of those guys, they get really, they get, unfortunately, they get a lot of damage with the beetles. Linden trees, birch trees, um, and Japanese maples also watch out. So if you have those plants in your yard, you probably will need to think about controlling the Japanese beetles this season, okay? Um, folks, we are going to take a short pause right now, and when we come back, we'll get right with your calls. Back to Gardening with Angelo on News Radio WTAM 1100. Once again, Angelo Petini. Good morning, everyone. This is Noelle and Frangelo this morning. We'll get right to the phone calls. 
Good morning. You're on the air. Good morning, Noel. Yes. Good morning to you. I didn't know if I was on. I have a, a question, and it's not a gardening question so much. I'm a little hoarse from the game last night, so <laughs> totally understandable. <laughs> um, we live. Uh, we have groundhog. We have skunks. We have um, deer. We have. Uh, anyways, about six or eight weeks ago, we um, lost our dog, and I buried it in the backyard. And it's. It, she's buried about a good three and a half, four feet down in the ground. In the last week or so, we've noticed that something is pawing at the top of the ground and disturbing it. It's about maybe two inches down and maybe three inches wide. Um, we had planted grass over there in that area. I filled it back up. It it repeated itself the next day. I filled it back up and put some stones on it, and it again repeated itself. I sprayed it. I did it again, and I sprayed it with Repelzol, and um, again, it repeated itself. Oh, wow. I put a rat trap underneath some straw on it. It moved it, and it it dug again about the same about the same depth. And I can't figure out what animal would be doing that. It's not digging any deeper than that, but it's it's moving that to the side. So if you have a suggestion, or maybe one of your listeners um, has experienced something like this, to I want to stop stop that. If I can, right, right. Um, I would say you're you. You said you sprayed the liquid repels all around the area. Yes, I did. I sprayed that that particular area. It's always that same location. Okay. Um, I would try, and and I'm just thinking a granular product might stay a little bit better. Okay. Um, so the granular repels all um, might do better for you. I'm thinking it might be a raccoon that you know is is again, but kind of digging more shallow, um, but again being able to move a lot of different objects around. Oh, you um, mentioned this morning uh, the repels all has a garlic base to it. Yes. Oil. And I and I have some garlic cloves from last year that I haven't you know used or whatever. Sure. And I was thinking of making a a, a, a solution with that and putting that in that area. Absolutely, I think um, any of those home remedies certainly are worth a try, um, especially if you know you're you're just not getting the results that that you want. Um, so yeah, I think absolutely the the garlics are are typically a really good repellent uh, for us. Usually the egg solids. So you'll see things like Liquid Fence has. Um, putrefied egg solids so that's typically the repellent there um what i'm thinking is that more of your blood uh, meal based repellents probably are not going to work in that instance um so i would stick with either the garlic or the egg based okay okay it's just a repetitive um event that's happening there and i just don't understand why the animal would continually be going in that direction, especially when I've been putting things there that would 
would deter it. Right. Hopefully would deter it. Right. Right. So, um, again, I, f- I feel like, um, you have, uh, again, have buried the dog deep enough. Um, but you're right with that shallow digging. I'm not sure if they're going after, you know, again, insects or what have you that might have developed in that area. Um, so I, I think your best bet is probably, again, the garlic based or the egg based, um, repellents. Hopefully that'll help out. Okay. Well, thank you very much. You have a great day, and love listening to your comments and your suggestions. Oh, thanks so much for calling. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Good morning. You're on the air. Hello. Hello. Yes. Hi there. Good morning. How are you today? Just fine, thanks. Um, question about Japanese beetle damage to canna lilies in a pot. Mm-hmm. Can they sustain, like, a light pruning? Could you remove some of the severely damaged leaves? Yes. Um, with cannas, you know how they grow right out of the center and kind of um, come up and sort of unfurl? Right. That Absolutely. So if some of the leaves have been severely damaged, um, you can. You can take uh, the most damaged off, and you'll start to see new growth kind of moving out through the center. Okay. Yes, not a problem. Um, typically, when if you'd have to, if if everything was really looking nasty and you had to cut everything back, um, you can even do that. Feed the plant, of course, and then um, you'll see you'll start to see new uh, leaves growing up as well. Well, like you said, you could, you could see that they're still flushing. They're still you know generating new growth coming out, but like the the older what would probably be the oldest leaves on the exterior of the plant, mm-hmm. you know, sustained damage. And I was just wondering if I could just uh, prune them back. Absolutely. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And I would just make sure, you know, again, it, since you have already sustained damage with the beetles, of course, they're going after those cannas. So go ahead. And I would, I would suggest spraying, you know, yep. after you remove and prune, you yep. know, again, feed. And then I would suggest spraying an insecticide, whatever you, you know, prefer to use um, just to, just to, again, give some protection to those, those newer leaves that are developing. But yeah, they, they continue produce new ones um, right out of the center. Okay. Thank you. You're very welcome. Thanks for calling. Okay. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Good morning. You're on the air. Buongiorno. Hi. Hey, I had a, uh, well, I had a couple of things, but that that uh, person who lost their dog and buried him, uh, put lime on the top of the soil. That lime? That's disinfected. Okay. I, when I bury, uh, well, we'll say critters that passed the wrong place, uh, that's what I put there. Okay. Um, I, I had a big spot of um, nutgrass, about 14 feet long or better, and I sprayed it around up twice, then a um, nutgrass killer. I finally killed it. Now, it's got seeds up on the top of it. Those seeds die. Um, I certainly hope so, but you know what? If it's dead, if it's brown right now, yeah. and it's sitting there, yeah. um, can you mow it? No. Can you collect it? No, no. Okay. Um, oh, goodness. That's the only thing, is is the seedlings that are at the top there, if they have developed, they could release, because they're dry, 
Yeah. And then they could drop right back into the soil. Can I, should I pull it out and till it up or what? I would definitely, I would try to remove it any way that you can. Will it kill the, the nut part on the bottom? Uh, so hopefully your, your nut grass is, is killed. The root is actually killed, right? That little bulblet that's at the bottom. Um, but yeah, you got to watch out for those seed heads. Okay, so uh, uh, how about weed whack? No, weed whack it, spread it, wouldn't it? Well, yeah. And then, I mean, then rake it up, though. Right, right. So, um, you know, grass trimmer, like a a hedge trimmer, if you could go through and kind of, you know, but it's a pretty long area. Kind of pile it up a little bit. Yeah. Then rake it into a pile and get rid of it. Right. Right. Best you can. Okay, have a nice day, but the lime will work. Okay, thank you so much for calling. You're welcome. Bye bye. Bye bye. Good morning. You're on the air. Good morning. How are you, Noel? Just fine. Good. I uh, got a few questions. Um, one, uh, I called Angelo several weeks ago about uh, hydrangeas, and I have um, a wedding gown hydrangea, and I've got a couple of the rhythmic blue hydrangeas. Okay. And they're not doing well at all. The The wedding gown has not grown at all. Uh, it's about 12 inches high, and that's it. I have no blooms. I have some uh, browning on the leaves at the tips. And the um, Rhythmic Blue I put in about maybe about three weeks ago. There is some new growth, but I'm getting a lot of, uh, again, browning at the tips of the, of the leaves and, and losing, um, you know, losing a lot of the leaves. Okay, so tell me, um, when you planted these, what did you do? Um, you know, dug a, a uh, large enough hole. Okay. Enough, uh, hole. I, I used um, um, Plantone and... Uh, um, polytone uh, fertilizer. I also put some uh, triple phosphate for for blooms. Okay. And a um, um, can't think of the name of it. But I think it was biotone for new transplants. Okay. And um, mulched it around. You know, put mulch around the uh, the top. Okay. So um, as far as your um, how about your sun aspect? What where did it's you morning sun? It's, okay. it's probably it gets on sunrise to probably around twelve, twelve thirty. Okay, that should be good. And then, how about your watering routine? Well, because of the heat, uh, I've been watering a lot. What I've been doing though is I use a, a um, moisture guide, those okay. little prongs to you know to get them in. And, and uh, when it's you know if it's too wet, I I don't water it that day. If it's you know if it's dry, okay, then I'll water it. So how often? I mean, sorry, how long do you water? Um. Just probably morning. Okay. And uh, what I'll do is I don't. I, I put I water by hand. I put the hose beneath the uh, leaves. Okay. So I don't don't wet the leaves. Mm-hmm. And uh, but usually usually early morning, maybe okay. seven thirty. And then um, do you do like five minutes at the base of each hydrangea? Uh, not that much. Maybe about a minute, two mm-hmm. minutes, maybe. Mm-hmm. And have you ever taken just like a a small trowel or shovel, and seeing how far down the water goes? No, actually, I have not done that. Okay, try that for me today, okay? okay. Um, the reason being is that with the hydrangeas, 
we want them, you know, again, they, they do need a lot of water and we have been very, very hot this season. So if you can, um, see where that moisture is going, is it going down into the soil? Is, are the roots starting to reach down with that moisture or are they still staying very surface? Um, and what happens is, um, if they stay on the surface, they can get burned, even though that you have mulched, but in a hot season that happens. And um, you know what? So really quickly, we're going to take a short pause here and um, I'm going to get right back to you. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Back to Gardening with Angelo on News Radio WTAM 1100. Once again, Angelo Petiti. Hi, everyone. This is Noellen for Angelo. Brad. Okay, sorry. I'm looking for it. So is it the check mark? Okay. Hi. Are you still there? Yes, I am. Oh, hi. Great. Brad took care of that for me. Thank you. <laughs> um, good. Um, so what I'm thinking is after you look at at how the moisture penetrates into the hydrangea root system, you'll have a better idea of if the the short sporadic daily watering is penetrating down or what we need to do is um, change watering and do long, thorough, deep waterings, you know, maybe once a week to twice a week versus daily watering, okay? Um, with hydrangeas, now, you said the Rhythmic Blue you installed about three weeks ago. Correct. Granite, it has been hot. We've got some rain, don't get me wrong, but it, it's, been, it's been pretty hot. And so that's stressful. You know, that's stressful on any plant. And so, um, and I heard Angelo say, you can, you can plant anytime you want to, and you can plant middle summer. It's not a problem. However, you are going to be doing a lot more as far as the maintenance part of taking care of those plants, right? So you put the fertilizer in the hole. You have a, quite a few different fertilizers there. So um, I would just say, you know, when you're planting, use the Biotone uh, for maintenance fertilizer. Let's say a month or two later, go ahead and use your Hollytone or your Plant Tone. When, like you said, when you're starting to not see flowering on that, we typically do use the triple phosphate, usually one time in spring and then one time midsummer for the hydrangea. Okay. Um, so I'm kind of wondering if it was a combination of we had a lot of fertilizers in there and typically your organic fertilizers, your tone products, they don't burn, but um, it sounds like we had quite a bit in the in the soil, and then um, the triple phosphate on top of that. So I'm I'm wondering if it could be a little bit of burn. I'm thinking, although along the lines, I'm thinking that when hydrangeas brown, it's either one watering extreme or another watering extreme. So either they're dry and they're browning, or they're too wet and they're browning. Okay, so. Um, after checking, you know, your root system, just I would just correct from there. And if, if you can, if you can get a small soaker hose 
to put around the hydrangea, run it about a half an hour to an hour, about once or twice a week. I think you'll find a huge difference in how they start to fill out and grow. The other thing is, I just think they're immature and a little bit stressed right now. And I think they'll come along just fine. Um, but it's just been a rough summer season for them. You know, um, so I, I think, again, they're they're great plants, but um, trying to establish them, you know, midseason is sometimes a little bit difficult. Okay. And I the browning leaves, I've kind of trimmed off. Is that okay to do that? Absolutely. And okay. um, you bring up a good point. If you're having any issues with your hydrangeas and you need to trim them for whatever reason, get most of your pruning done. And this is for your mop head or macrophylla type, which is what you have. Do that pruning at this time of year uh, before it comes to August 1st. So any type of pruning, trimming, all that type of thing. If you need to really reduce size or, you know, really remove damaged areas or what have you, um, do that um, by the end of July, and um, that plan will be just fine. Okay. All right. I'll try that. Sorry. I hope, um, you know, it really works out for you. I just think it's a matter of just getting them established and, um, yeah, just on that watering routine, just finding out if you really are giving them enough water and you continue to do that. I think you're fine. Um, or, you know, possibly um, they could be on the drier side, not being able to get, you know, a real deep watering. And then, um, you know, it, it's a lot easier if you can put a soaker hose out there. Okay. Okay. Um, a couple other things. Sure. Uh, I've um, had a real um, problem with uh, spider mites last year on my uh, uh, burning bushes. So okay. this year I started early. I did it uh, kind of mid-May, and uh, then I did it in uh, mid-June. Should I do it again and when? Uh, what p- product are you applying? I don't. I can't remember the exact name, but it was a systemic okay. uh, product. Okay. Um, if Spray it were, it. yeah. So um, Bear has one of the best products out there, and it's actually called BioAdvance now, but it's made from the Bear company, and um, they do have a mite control spray, and it's probably one of the best ones out there, and typically on the label. I want to say it usually has, um, it's usually effective um, up to about six weeks, okay? okay? So again, after that six-week period, you're probably ready to go and apply it again. And because mites are so tough to control, um, I would stay on top of that. So I would continue to maintain um, your insecticide schedule so you can control that. And you're not kidding, burning bush uh, have looked terrible this year just because of the mite issues out there. Yeah, mine's, mine are doing so are doing it well because I I got it early. Good, so. yeah, that's but a great way to do that. I'll check that, and just for that gentleman that buried his dog, um, I agree. Lime uh, has worked for me, and I also had some problems with uh, raccoons, and I made little mothball packets okay. um, with cheesecloth and threw them around, and uh, that kept them away as well. So. Okay, great, great. Thank you so much for sharing. Yeah, you're welcome. Okay, thanks for calling today. Have a great you're day. Welcome. Thank you. Bye bye. Good morning. You're on the air. 
Good morning, Noel. Hi. Hi. Regretfully, I have another question about hydrangea. Oh, don't regret it. It's <laughs> it's hydrangea, you know, time. It's, it's really their prime time right now. Well, this is the first time around for me. Okay. I purchased a wedding gown, mm-hmm. a hydrangea, at one of the potato stores. Could you tell me briefly what... How do I maintain that plant? Sure. So wedding gown hydrangea um, is a macrophylla or mop head type. Okay. Okay. Um, So it is what we love about it is it is a double blooming hydrangea. So the flowers are really, really showy and gorgeous. Um, It is a white. It does not really change color. Every once in a while, you can um, make the soil a little bit more acidic and you'll see like a a tinge of light blue or if you make it a little bit basic you can see just a small blush of pink Um, but typically they are white in general okay Um, when you uh, and you've planted the plant oh yes it's been in Mm -hmm. about uh I want to say seven weeks or so oh, or sure. whatever. Okay. Yeah. So um, with the it's hydrangea, yeah. So when you planted, you did you use a fertilizer when you planted? Yes, I did. Okay, good. So at that point, normally what we do is we'll do a fertilization at the time of planting. It could be biotone, plant tone, or holly tone. Okay. Yes. And then what we'll do is we'll typically... Uh, fertilize again, usually midsummer. Okay. And again, you can apply, reapply the plant tone or the holly tone. Biotone doesn't work, uh, above the surface. Okay. So biotone really works at the root system at the time of planting. Okay. Okay. Um, so biotone or plant tone, or I'm sorry, holly tone or plant tone. There's too many out there. Right. (laughs) And then, um, and then you're, you're good from there. Okay. As far as fertilization is concerned. Watering again, most plant material, and this is lawns, perennials, shrubs, annuals that are planted in the ground you want to water about one inch of water per week okay so if we get rainfall and you get a half of an inch of rainfall that week you just want to irrigate for another half inch okay now typically if you do it slowly and thoroughly the root system of the plant is going to follow that water deep into the soil. And that's what we want for hydrangeas especially because their root system, if they have more surface roots and you do a lot of shallow watering, that root system will stay at the surface and it will dry up very quickly, it will get hot very quickly, and that plant will flag or wilt very quickly. Okay. Okay. So the deeper you water, the deeper the roots are going to go. And that's always going to help mulching around those plants about an inch or two of mulch keeping it back from the crown just a little bit of the plant but keeping it around the root system is going to keep those roots cool and that's also key with hydrangea they really do appreciate a good mulching okay Um, from this point on your hydrangea when we get into the the fall months and it starts to yellow back okay Okay. and the leaves start to yellow and drop that's what we're looking for okay we want the leaves to drop and after you clean up the leaves in the fall you can go ahead and give it another mulching usually that's a winter mulch and we typically use about six inches of mulch at that time okay 
as protection. The other thing that I like to do with the macrophylla hydrangeas in this area is wrap the stems with burlap, okay? And again, it's going to be after the leaves drop, okay? And the leaves, what, what we're looking for is we're looking to protect those stems because they already have buds developed on them for next year, okay, to okay. bloom for next year. Now, wedding gown is fantastic because it is a newer hydrangea that blooms on old and new wood. So it will develop flowers pretty much everywhere. It produces new growth. However, it looks so much better if you can protect those stems over winter. Okay. Oh, very good. Very All right. Good. So come springtime, what you're going to do is you're going to, you're going to start to see the buds, uh, the leaf buds start to push out, the greens start to come out, and you are going to prune down to the uppermost growth to um, take away any winter damage that may have occurred. And then you're going to go ahead and let that hydrangea fill out. You're going to feed it in the spring. Again, it could be holly tone or plant tone, whatever you prefer. You can use Osmocote on them too, but we really like the tone products on the hydrangea. And um, go from there and just continue what you're doing. Very good. One more question that I wanted to ask you about it. Uh-huh. Now, as the flowers, this is loaded with flowers. Okay. It really is. Great. Uh, do they become spent as the time goes by, and do you remove them, or does it just, once it's got the flowers on it, that's it? Okay, so your flowers will stay on that hydrangea, and that's that's why we love them so much, is the flowers will stay active for a very long time. But they will dry on the stem, but the thing that we do like to do with most of your flowering plants is if you can deadhead those hydrangeas, you're going to help them out in the long run. You're going to reduce disease or insect issues that may occur from those dead flowers sitting on the plant. Okay. That's, that's what I wanted to know mm-hmm. is whether they, they should be dead. Yes, absolutely. That always helps any type of plant material. It always helps them continue to grow and continue to produce more buds and more flowers. Um, so again, with that hydrangea, um, I would go ahead and you can remove that spent flower. And we normally talk about going down and there are leaf sets underneath the, the flower. And there's two leaves that are opposite each other. Okay. okay. And so hydrangeas you count down two leaf sets one two and then you prune just above that third leaf set and you have deadheaded that flower oh okay okay Mm -hmm. super thank you so much you're very welcome so much information on the hydrangea great great i'm glad you called thank you so much nicole and stay cool okay thank you you too bye-bye good morning you're on the air Good morning, Noel. Hi. Hi. Um, I have a question on tomatoes. Is it a good idea to mulch them? I think so, absolutely. Um, with tomatoes, and you can use a really any types of mulch that you have around. It could be a, a shredded hardwood bark. It could be um, straw if you wanted to use straw. It could be, um, Angelo talks about um, doing some newspaper mulching around the veggie garden as well to you know keep weeds down. Uh-huh. So it just kind of depends what you prefer to use and what's worked well for you. The whole idea with mulch 
and especially for summertime is that you're trying to reduce weed competition right right you're trying to keep moisture in the soil you're trying to keep that soil temperature balanced as well so you don't go from very hot extremes um you know and dryness to wet and really really cool so mulch helps kind of regulate the soil temperature and the soil moisture as well okay okay um so yes absolutely tomatoes benefit from it i've seen a lot of different folks use like the red plastic mulch or the black plastic mulch to absorb more heat um you know different colors of radiation if you will uh-huh. um and all of those everybody has kind of different results so um really i think again overall mulch is beneficial you only want about an inch to two inches of mulch during the summertime okay, okay. and then um you're you're ready to go keep the mulch back from the crown of the plant because you don't want that plant um to rot Mm -hmm. um with the mulch uh you know on top Uh of it Uh and um it gives you a nice little area where you can apply water where you can apply fertilizer and um yeah that's basically it okay well thank you very much you're very welcome Uh have a great day bye-bye good morning you're on the air hi good morning noel hi I had a question about asters. Sure. Um, should we be treating those like mums? Um, oh, as, as far as cutting back? Right. Yes. So most of your perennial asters um, are developing really nicely. They're usually um, budding at this time of year, um, but they can get very tall, you know, three, four foot, sometimes five foot. And so you can uh, pinch them back. You can do that. Um, and it's, it's mid-July. You can still do it. You'll delay the blooming a little bit. But absolutely, they'll they'll respond very well. Um, and pinching back, you can probably take a good foot to two foot off of them, depending on how tall they are right now. Yeah, right now they're about a foot and a half tall. With they're loaded with buds. Okay, they're getting leggy. Okay, sure. So a foot and a half tall, let's say if you're comfortable taking six inches to twelve inches off. That will make them branch really nicely. It'll they will definitely develop buds again, and I just give them a good feeding. Okay, after you do that. Yeah, that, and that's what I was worried about. If they were going to rebud. Yes. Great. Um, quick question about clematis. I got six clematis plants, and every year I get less and less blooms. Um, this year, five of the six bloomed, but right now I don't have any blooms on them at all. Okay. Should I be cutting those back? I don't know if they're reblooming. Um, types okay so um all six of your clematis they bloomed earlier like let's say uh late may early june Mm, actually probably like mid-june to to up about now okay to up to this point and and colors can you tell me the colors i have pink uh, white and like a purple okay and all of them are spent now correct Okay, so um, most of your clematis will benefit from deadheading, so removing those spent uh, blooms, and you'll see the, you know, the kind of curly seed heads that are right. left over. So um, absolutely, if you can go through and deadhead, and I know, my gosh, you know, depending on how well they flower, it can be, you know, a, a job. Um, <laughs> but go through and, and deadhead as best you can. And then, um, again, another feeding, so midsummer feeding for them. And then um, just just wait from there. What I normally tell folks with clematis in general, if you don't know what types you 
you have and you, you know, you're not really sure about flowering and so forth, they do get two feedings a season, once in spring, once midsummer. And typically I will wait until springtime to see where they start to produce new foliage. Okay. Many clematis will tell you where they want to be pruned to. So typically um, if you have earlier bloomers, they usually don't want to be pruned very hard. Okay. So in the springtime, they'll typically grow and produce new growth from the base all the way up to the tip. Okay. And you can kind of trim and remove old wood around them, but they don't like to get pruned back too hard. Okay. Um, mid-season bloomers and late-season bloomers, typically you can prune those pretty hard and they'll be they'll be great okay so you can do that again in the springtime but the plant will always tell you where it, it it's going to produce no new growth and then you just prune down to just above that new growth gotcha okay okay great I'll try that next year then too yeah absolutely and if they start to feel like you're not you know you're not getting those good blooms you know if you feel like maybe they're getting thinner or skinnier or what have you when they're done with that first bloom cycle, okay, you can go ahead and you can prune them right after that. See if it helps create more branching, more new growth for you. Again, you know, when you're pruning, we always want to feed after that um, and, and see what happens. You can always have that develop. And typically when you prune right after they're done blooming, you won't interfere too much in, you know, the next bloom cycle. Okay. How far back should I prune? Well, um, that depends on, you know, your trellising and how tall they are now. And, and again, um, it, normally clematis grow so quickly that you could take them back about half their height. And, you know, they would start to fill out again for you pretty quickly. Gotcha. Yeah. So um, it's always a good way to kind of figure out if that's going to help you a little bit. Um, and develop better blooms. Maybe you just need to remove some of the older stems or what have you, um, and they can they can flower a little bit better for you sometimes. All right, great. Thank thank you very much. You're very welcome. Thanks for calling. Bye bye. Bye. Good morning. You're on the air. Hi, Noel. Hi. Hi. We have a hornet's nest in a oh, large boy. boxwood. Okay. Okay. Off the shelf sprays all give a warning not to use on evergreens. I know. So, so my question is, is a boxwood considered to be an evergreen? And if so, what product would you recommend? Oh, boy. Yes, it is an evergreen. Okay. Okay. That, I, I figured that. Yes, yeah. you've got it. And unfortunately, most of those sprays, they produce a, um, you know, a the foam. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That can that can damage the plant. But at this point, it's your safety that I'm more concerned about. Yeah. Um, so I would. Now, again, when you're treating any type of um, flying insect, bee, wasp, what have you, you always want to do it in the evening. Okay. Um, You know, when they're not as active. Um, And I would go ahead and I would, I would, I would, I would use that and give it a good spray. Now, the only thing that I can tell you is typically your dusts will not have um, as much of an effect on the boxwood plant. However, I would be very hesitant to 
get in there with a dust, you know, and, and try to cover that nest. I still want you to keep your distance and use that spray. And when the hornets aren't active, okay, and you, you know, you feel like the spray has done its job, okay, and is taking care of that nest, go in and just prune, you know, around that area, remove the hornet's nest, you know, prune out any damaged branches, and that boxwood will recover, Okay. Yeah, and I was I was thinking about uh, in the evening uh, or at night covering it with a sheet okay. and uh, spraying from underneath with a you know like raid or something like that. Oh, I wouldn't even try it. I really Fair wouldn't. Enough. Yeah, I just yeah. it you know I'd rather uh, definitely you know side on the side of caution. Yeah, I just think your safety is more important, and and even it, you know the the sheet and so forth. I don't uh, I don't think it would even you know help. I just think get rid of the the hornets, get rid of the problem, get rid of the nest, and then go in, kind of assess the damage, see what's going on in there. You yeah. you may have to, you know, prune out some areas. The boxwood may be lopsided. Believe me, they can take some pruning right now. Um it's not a problem. You know, go ahead and feed them, feed them holly tone and and iron tone and um they should recover. It it should be okay. Well, it was pruning that helped us discover the nest. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I wouldn't hesitate. I would take care of the hornet first, and then I would go from there. Thank you very much. Oh, you're very welcome. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Good morning. You're on the air. Hi. Uh, I have a question about viburnum beetles. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And I had talked to Angelo a couple times over a number of years now, and he had talked about how, you know, they had arrived in this area and yes. about the damage, and I certainly have had the damage, and mm-hmm. it's amazing how much they can do even overnight. Absolutely. Um, is that something that is just going to continue being a problem in our area? Um, unfortunately, it um, it hit about, let's say, about five years ago, okay, right. yeah. where we really noticed a lot of damage. It affects native species of viburnum, okay? Right. So what, what has happened is a lot of the natives have gotten, you know, killed back. Um, we have recommended everything. You can do everything from, you know, uh, using a tree and shrub systemic to really curb them, which works very, very well. If you hadn't been able to get a tree and shrub systemic down into the soil around the root system, uh, lots of times eight will work. However, you have to catch the beetle when it's on, you know, the plant. Okay. Um, so there are, there are a couple different things that you can do with viburnum leaf beetle um but yeah typically that tree and shrub systemic if you can apply it yearly that is going to be your best bet have i seen less of them around not necessarily okay Okay. have i seen less damage I don't really think so. What I think i'm seeing is i'm seeing more non-native viburnum being grown instead okay where they just don't get that that beetle damage yeah, because I love the other kind, and so I was hoping that I would be able to, you know, put down something that would make sure that they don't do the damage. But so far, I tend to st- 
still get a fair amount of damage anyway. Right, right. So just, again, it's more of that insecticide um, application right at the right time. Um, would you be able to contact us at um, petitegardencenter.com, go into customer service, and I can give you some more information, detailed information about viburnum leaf beetle, but I have got to get going because we're out of time. That's fine. I okay. will do that. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank Everybody you. have a wonderful day and um, happy gardening out there.